where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Our scripture this morning, as we heard, was uh, Jesus blessing the children. And today, as we uh, continue that theme, we are going to begin by hearing a story together. This is called Emily's Idea. Uh, you will have the pictures on the screen here as I read along. This book is brand new. I pre-ordered it quite a bit ago with this service in mind. So if you have young people near you or in your house, uh, they would enjoy this story as well if they're not already near the screen. Emily's idea started small. Many beautiful ideas do. She folded, doodled, and snipped. But also, like many ideas, Emily's small idea grew until her room was alive with pattern and color. On share day, Emily's paper dolls inspired Ms. Tate and room 6B. So everyone folded, doodled, and snipped. Each doll was, the diff was different but the same. Her small idea had grown bigger than she was, bigger than she ever imagined. It was a connection between Luca and Evelyn, between Annabelle and Nico, between Leah and Henry. And still, Emily's idea grew. Grown-ups, we're going to be coming back to this page, so you're, this is the picture you want to look at. Chains hung in the bakery, in the hair salon, even in the post office. Emily's idea flew from coast to coast and floated across the ocean. Friends and strangers joined hands across bridges and town squares, beneath subways and bus shelters. Some people didn't understand. They ripped, belittled, destroyed. But Emily's idea kept growing. Dolls adorned houses, shops, and schools, stations, trees, and yards. Each doll was different, but the same. Emily stuck her story in her scrapbook. Hands holding hands in Japan and Australia Qatar and Iceland, South Africa and Mexico. Emily felt fluttery, just like a paper doll in the wind. On the last day of school, Emily hugged her bulging scrapbook. Ms. Tate had a surprise, a parcel adorned with beautiful stamps. Emily ripped. Paper dolls cascaded into her lap. Each doll was different, but the same, just like us. 
And the dolls attached said, thank you. This week we are continuing our sermon series on people of peace, and we are learning about and from modern peacemakers. Two weeks ago we learned about the, ro- the work of Belby Rooks and Dedon Gills, and we thought about dreaming big and about being intersectional. Last week we learned from Ibu Patel about claiming our own faith story and also being interfaith bridge builders. This week, we're hearing a little bit about Marion Wright Edelman and thinking about lifting up the voices of others. If you know Marion Wright Edelman, it's likely because of her work with the Children's Defense Fund, which she founded in 1973. And although she's retired, the Children's Defense Fund continues to be a leader in children's advocacy work. There are some things you might not know about Edelman, or at least I didn't, and I have long been an admirer of her work. She was the first black woman admitted to the Mississippi Bar. She worked with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as counsel for his Poor People's Campaign. And kids who have uh, been online for Peace Out might remember we talked a little bit about the Poor People's Campaign a couple weeks ago and the resurgence uh, that they are experiencing and the good work that's happening there. In 1969, Edelman began the Washington Research Project, which was a public interest law firm. And what it did was monitored federal programs for low-income families. It was out of that that she founded the Children's Defense Fund. If you don't know this about Marion Wright Edelman, it is because she spent her career centering the voice of children. It means she didn't just active advocate for them, she stands with them and with the people who care for them. Part of the good work of the Children's Defense Fund happens at Haley Farm in Clinton, Tennessee, which is a training place and a retreat center specifically to encourage and empower young people in the leadership work they are already doing in their communities. The reason I chose this book, Emily's Idea, for this morning is specifically for the role the adults played. You saw them there, they just spread the word. The story wasn't ultimately their story, but they were there, sharing with others and probably being a support when other people who didn't understand ripped and stomped and belittled. From Marion Wright Edelman and also from the book this morning, I take away the lesson that when you model care for children, do not be surprised when they are eager to step into caring for others. And so this morning, as we think about that work of listening and of advocating, I have asked Amy Farrell to share how that looks in her world and her work as a professor of education. 
Hi, my name is Amy Farrell, and I'm the mother of James and John, and I'm also faculty in the Special Education Program of the School of Education and Human Development at CU Denver. So today I would like to share with you a reflection about education, the summer solstice, and wholeness. After yesterday's summer solstice, we now begin our gradual descent of shortening daylight as we head toward December. As of last night, we saw the most daylight we will see all year. There are parts of the globe furthest from the equator that see over 21 hours of daylight, almost as if the day of the solstice could be called the great imbalance. What adds to my sense of imbalance is that I often forget that today is also the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice, for the southern hemisphere. The other half of the globe is in darkness, in shadow. Generations of Northern Hemisphere bias, shaped by colonialism, has resulted in the way maps are drawn and even how dates are set on a global calendar. Not to mention the imbalance of power based on race, language, and culture. The reason we celebrate Christmas in December is because the winter solstice and its symbolic nature of Christ's arrival to a dark world occurs during that time of year, but only evident for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. Imagine if those on the Southern Hemisphere were the winners and the writers of history. We might be celebrating Christmas right now with full daylight and warm weather. That's strange for many of us on the Northern Hemisphere to think about, but it's not so strange to people in Sydney or Santiago, for example, whose Christmases are filled with a juxtaposition of Santa hats and tank tops. This time of great imbalance reminds me that we have a tendency to make sense of the world through dualisms. After all, it's the basis of our origin story. God separated the light from the dark, land from the water, and human from God. What was once formless came into form with edges and boundaries for the ease of distinction, one thing from another, male from female, tree from snake, out from in, you from me. Everything we want to be versus everything we don't want to be. We are in a time during our global history when dualisms are becoming incredibly apparent. For those of us who have enjoyed the luxuries of obliviousness in our positions of power and privilege, we are starting to learn that our lived ex realities and experiences are completely and utterly different from others. But like those on the Southern Hemisphere at Christmas, those on the other side have understood the two worlds for generations. Today is also Father's Day holding significant meaning for me and my calling toward education. My father and grandfathers and great-grandfathers were pastors and higher educators. My mother and grandmothers were champions of public education and the education of people with disabilities. So perhaps it is clear how I became a professor of special education, advocating for ideals of community, where education is nothing more and nothing less than the process of becoming one's whole self.
Polarization perpetuates when we cannot see ourselves in the other. We can't see ourselves in whatever it is we don't want to be or don't think we are. We think we're good, right, strong, smart, hardworking, or deserving. We move further and further toward the pole, all the while forgetting, even denying the other part of ourselves, our shadow. Maybe we claim, I'm not racist and forget that we participate in racist structures or beliefs that advantage whiteness, living on stolen land and benefiting from generations of stolen labor. The doctoral students in my power and privilege course this summer often find themselves caught in between poles. They note the seeming contradictions between speaking out against injustice versus stopping to listen to the marginalized. Am I supposed to listen or speak? Or they might ask whether disengaging from social media is taking the path of least resistance, or in other words, the easy way out. Or is it a time for rest and self-care? My consistent response is, it's both. Our goal is not necessarily a process of distinction that might result in the form of external rules. This isn't about a checklist that a good social justice activist should follow. Rather, we are learning to discern, to decide, to be agents that can use our power to choose the best way forward. Making that choice might mean that we embrace the great imbalance and decide that it is time now for us to listen. We embrace the reality that some of us, white people, have been speaking for generations. Our stories have been told. Our ways of being have been validated. Our right to breathe has never been questioned. The same hasn't been true for people of color. And now it's time for that to change. The reality is that the longest day of the year peaks only for a moment, for a split second even. Light, dark, Time, space are always rotating, changing, revolving, and evolving. The problem is when we forget this constant change, or lack of permanence, and in our forgetting, we are driven further toward the pole, leading us to misconceptions that we are always in the light. This leads us further away from our oneness with ourselves and with each other. Separation is nothing but an illusion. We are both racist and anti-racist, powerless and powerful, intelligent and ignorant, strong and weak, hostile and peaceful, good and bad. True education is learning to integrate the poles within us, to love all of it, leading us closer to the truth of our wholeness as individuals and as a globe. Thank you so much. Polarization perpetuates when people do not see themselves in the other. As Amy was speaking, that is the point that I kept coming back to. And I wonder this morning 
how you all are doing on your journey uh, in this time where so many of us are learning even more deeply how to see ourselves in the other. And I think that that journey um, is a lifetime journey. It's a constant experience of learning and relearning how to integrate and come into our wholeness. I also appreciated so much Amy's point about the tension between speaking and listening, which I know many of you, many of us, are wrestling with as well. And I think it is an important one. But it also crossed my mind in a number of conversations that I had this past week that sometimes we feel hesitant to speak up because sometimes we don't feel qualified. Like it's not our job to do or we're not good enough to do it. And so as you continue to uh, experience and maybe wrestle with all of these polarities that you might be experiencing right now, I want to share with you an excerpt from a speech that Marion Wright Edelman gave. And if you want to hear the whole thing, um, I remembered hearing it a while back and then I looked for it and I just Googled Marion Wright Edelman I Care speech and it came up for me. I'm not quite sure what the setting was when she gave it. But here is part of the beginning. Lord, I cannot preach like Dr. King nor turn a poignant phrase like Maya Angelou. But I care, and I'm willing to stand with others to build a movement to save all of our children. I don't have Harriet Tubman's courage or Eleanor Roosevelt's political skills, but I care, and I'm willing to serve and stand with others for our children. I wish I was holy, like Archbishop Tutu, or forgiving, like President Mandela, or disciplined, like Mahatma Gandhi. I'm not, but I care. And each of us can be willing to serve and stand with others for our children. May this be an inspiration for you this week as you continue to step further into your own work of peacemaking.